Welcome to the ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier and I come to you from the Rolex Monte Carlo Masters, the first Masters 1000 of the year on clay. The Monte Carlo Country Club decked out in all its finery, occupying as it does the most spectacular hillside position overlooking the bluest of blue Mediterranean seas. From the practice courts right up at the top of the site, down through the hustle bustle of the fan village, past the Cour des Princes, the second show court here, to the majestic Cour Renier Trois, the main show court with its historic main clubhouse standing proudly behind it. It really is the place to be and a bucket list item for any tennis fan. Today we've spoken with the defending champion Stefanos Tsitsipas, we'll hear from him shortly. Also red-hot 18-year-old champion of Miami, Carlos Alcaraz, he's playing his first Monte Carlo Masters champion two in Rio on clay earlier this year. There's also Sasha Zverev, Miami Open finalist Kasper Ruud, Joe Wilfred Songer on his retirement tour and many more. But we start right at the top with world number one Novak Djokovic, who's been missing from the tour for much of the year. I asked him how it feels to be back on court in his first competitive action since Dubai in February. It's great to be back and uh, on the tour. Um, I miss competing, you know, I miss tournaments, obviously. I still feel motivated to compete uh, with the young guys and trying to challenge, challenge them and fight for one of the biggest trophies in our sport, obviously, Monte Carlo. Uh, how to how to uh, compete with this uh, with this view here? It's a stunning venue, and it, it has been home for me for over a decade. I've been based here, training at this club, so uh, couldn't ask for a better better place to to restart my season. Away from all the distractions that that you've been going through, how much is tennis and, and the competitive tennis court feel like your safe place? It is. I mean, look, it has been my ecosystem, my world for for many years, and uh, it's 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 what I done best in my life and of course I've you know I've been very sad to be away from the tour but um, here I am you know I try to try to live whatever has happened in the last few months behind and learn from it and use that as a fuel. Two-time champion here um, so you must have lots of memories to any any that stand out particularly? Well the, the, the two trophies that you you mentioned that I won back in 13 and 15 uh, had some thrilling finals as well that I lost to, to Nadal uh, yeah, those matches against Rafa on clay <laughs> have always uh, stood out. Uh, I think uh, the, the 2013 finals that I won against him in straight sets was some of the best clay court tennis I've ever played um, against him, obviously, and he's been winning every clay court tournament for 10 plus times. So, of course, it is always a paramount challenge to, to win against him on the surface. And uh, that, that obviously gave me a lot of wings. You know, it was one of the first wins I managed to clinch against him in, on clay and um, you know I felt it felt a huge relief but also huge motivation for what was coming up after that. Nine years on you arrive here as the top seed. Um, given how little competitive tennis you've had how are your expectations? How are you setting them? Well I, I try not to have too high of expectations for myself even though I know that you know obviously I want to play at my best uh, every tournament and but I haven't I haven't not played, uh, you know. I think two or three matches this year, and so I'm I'm, I'm behind with competitive play uh, against 99% of the players. So it will probably take me some time, really, to to find a groove, to find the right momentum, and and you know get myself in the in the rhythm. 
uh, hopefully sooner than later. I mean, I, I, I always want to believe that he can come uh, already the first or second match, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to take things step by step and, and build and try to be at my best for, for Roland Garros. You mentioned earlier that you're looking forward to playing against the young players. Even in the three months that you've been away, this young guy, Carlos Alcaraz, is, is almost the new kid on the block. Um, how much would you relish playing him with the form he's in at the moment? Fantastic uh, news for tennis world that we have a, a new superstar like Alcaraz. Is, uh, I don't know him that well. I have never practiced or played with him, uh, but he's, uh, he, he, you know, he has a reputation as a very nice, uh, very nice guy, very respectful, and uh, he gets along very well with all the players and with with, with me, of course, as well. In the last uh, year, year and a half that I've seen him. In a few tournaments and he's always been very nice and him and Ferrero, his coach that I've known for, for quite some time. Uh, he's, he's very solid mentally, game-wise, he's a very complete player. Uh, you know, everyone was expecting him to, to, to clinch one of the bigger trophies on clay because, you know, that's, that was so far his most successful surface. But he did it on, on, on a hard court in Miami in a style that is so impressive. So, I, I, you know, I wish him all the best. I think it's great for our sport that we have a, another big star. Everyone's happy to have you back, Novak, the fans as well. You, you seem happy to be back too. Yes, I, I, I am happy to be back, uh, back here and uh, to see many fans. And, of course, today is Sunday, so a lot of, a lot of children, a lot of families come in and, uh, and watch us play, watch us practice. You know, we miss crowd. Obviously, during the the COVID lockdowns, we we had many tournaments with uh, no crowd at all. So this is very refreshing and uh, gives gives all of us uh, a wind in our sails. More from Monte Carlo and its biggest stars shortly. But first, there have been two other clay court events taking place this week. Firstly, in Marrakesh, where David Goffin beat Alex Molkan in the final. And in Houston, where it was an all-American affair in the final between Riley Apelka and John Isner. Much more on both of those events at atptour.com and on the ATP Tour app. But let's hear now from another American who Isner beat en route to the final, Steve Johnson. Despite defeat, he always cherishes this time of year. Looking back at my back-to-back uh, -back titles at the Houston event at River Oaks Country Club, my two titles in 2017 and 2018 is, brings back some very fond memories and I hope you guys enjoy them. Every American loves going to that event. It's our first event on clay before heading to Europe, so it's a fun week for all of us to really get our footing down on clay. I remember playing uh, for Dasco pretty well. It was maybe my fourth match against him on clay and I played well. I mean, I think it was a pretty straightforward win. Swing and a miss, Stevie Johnson makes it two Americans in the semis in Houston. He knocks off the former champ, Verdasco. And then against Jack in the semis, I mean, it was close. Was able to hold it out. Finishes with the ace, third career final for Stevie Johnson, his first on U.S. soil. Here's the American, Stevie Johnson, looking for his second career title. He's never won a title on clay, he's never made a final on clay, but that could all change. And that was a bit of a Houdini act, you know, I don't know how I won some of those points. I look back and laugh now. You know, very fortunate to get out of that hold at 5-all. Bellucci must feel absolutely foolish for not putting that second serve in play while Stevie Johnson 
can barely stand. I had just enough in the tank, I guess, for uh, for the last tiebreaker. I played a good one, hit some, some good forehand winners, and I remember I just hit a forehand winner down the line. Barely able to move 10 minutes ago. Somehow, Stevie Johnson wins Houston. For me, it was definitely, I look back with even more fond memories because that was the last match uh, before my dad passed. You know, I know he was glued to the TV and, you know, we spoke shortly after that match and, um, you know, little did I know at the time that would be the last one you get to see me play. I played five Americans on the way to a title. I remember kind of squeaking out the first round over Ernesto. I played France the second round. I think it was pretty straightforward at the time. You know, straight sets. Yeah, there's the win for Stevie Johnson. John in the quarters. Might have been sixth in the third. The defending champ fights on to the semis in Houston. And then the semis I played Brits. You know, I felt like I remember that week my game just got better and better. Yeah, it's back-to-back -back finals in Houston for Steve Johnson. Once I got to the finals, I think it's a little tough for me there since I was maybe the, I guess, the favorite. I'd been there, you know, Sangren was looking for his first title, playing well. So I just got out to a great start and then kind of let it slip away. But I was down break point and I hit a forehand winner inside in, you know, and it was very close. I remember chair umpire got out of the chair, kind of looked at the mark, gave it like the finger wag and circle and said it was good. I was very happy about that. And then, you know, got to deuce. On the match point, I had to serve wide and Sangren's backhand went long. And um, yeah, I kind of just emotionally kind of lost a little bit. Stevie Johnson goes back to back in Houston. You know, we just had a moment there at the net and he was, he kind of saw I was hurting and made a couple comments to me that, you know, I'll think about for a long time. And, you know, that's putting your character ahead of the competition of what just happened. And you can form your own opinions about what that outpouring of emotion is about. And the champion, Stevie Johnson. Turned out to be a, a, a great uh, two weeks for me. You know, a title, then got married. You know, it's, it's something I'll always remember. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Back to affairs in Monte Carlo. And let's hear now from the man who finished right on top of the pile here last year to win his first Masters 1000. I asked Stefanos Tsitsipas how it feels to be back. I have great memories from here and... I can't wait to start again and uh, show what I'm capable of on the clay. The last few days have been very good and um, with uh, great weather and uh, family support and family help every single day. I'm grateful and I'm going to try and bring my best tennis with me this week. You'd won the Tour Finals before but this was your first Masters. Um, what do you remember of how big that felt? It was a moment to remember simply because well, that was the very first tournament that I uh, came to watch as a young kid. I came with my brother and uh, both of my parents to watch uh, Rafa face Roger in the finals and we kept uh, you know, um, coming back every single year. It kind of became a, something like a family tradition. 
So it holds a very special place in my heart, uh, this tournament in particular, because that's where it all started. That's where I kind of uh, got inspired to pursue tennis at a more serious level. And uh, winning it last year, it, it has been a, an amazing uh, kind of uh, uh, moment uh, that defined my career so far. And you and Andre in the final, both bidding to win a first Masters. What, what are your memories of the final and how it played out? It was an intense match. I think I uh, came into the match very strong and uh, very determined that this is my day. And uh, I kept it that way till the end. It was a little bit nerve-wracking, uh, but I was able to get through it and uh, uh, handled my nerves really well and uh, just uh, stayed patient and waited uh, till the very end to, to celebrate. And it's a change of surface too now. Uh, after the hardcourt swing, how does it feel to be back, not just here in Monte Carlo, but on the clay, getting your socks dirty? I always have great memories uh, playing on the surface. And uh, for me, it's such an extreme surface because you can really uh, utilize your weapons and you can find yourself uh, from back into defense all the way to offense, all in a single rally. And it's, it's, it's a definitely a, a, a surface of uh, the extremes. And uh, I really like um, the fact that I'm able to really uh, get a good grip of the ball with a heavy topspin and uh, slide around the court. This is something that um, I feel like it's part of my uh, nature. What are your earliest memories of playing on clay? Funny enough, right on the center court when I was probably eight years old, somehow we managed to get a court. And um, I don't think I've ever played in a more beautiful court than that one simply because it has an amazing view back there and you're in the south of France in the Côte d'Azur enjoying tennis at its finest. This site is busy right throughout the year. Many members, but also many players choosing to base themselves in Monte Carlo. And one of those still relatively new to the scene is Dane Holger Runa, who came through qualifying earlier today. ATP Uncovered recently spent some time with him and his coaches, Lars Christensen and Lapo Beccarini. Second serve from Runa. I've always had the passion for the sport. What is my goal? And that is to be number one in the world. Champions, they don't lie in the bed all day. Nobody's going to hand you the victory. You've got to earn it yourself. Yeah, it's been a, a remarkable year. All those match wins. 2021 US Open, I played against Novak Djokovic. To play with this guy and win one set was a huge confidence for me. Started the year 475 and he's just uh, on the cusp perhaps of breaking the world's top 100. 12, maybe? This is an amazing place here in Monaco. We have uh, all the facilities, great uh, physical things. That's the forecast said there should be some rain, but yeah, to have a great players to practice with. Also, a lot of the guys coming up, like me, Musetti, Felix also up there. It's a perfect place to, to do the preseason. So first we're starting with some stretching and mobility and getting the body ready for the day. And the next part of the day is not going to be like this, so this is probably the only time I will lay down. I'm trying to be as flexible as Novak, you know? Sliding out each corner, every rally. I'm, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> Bravo! On the right leg, in. 
I have a very clear goal of myself where I want to be in the future, so I try to tell myself I want to be the best in the world. And often I actually enjoy pushing myself, pushing to the limits, because you know this is where I can feel I really get better. Can we go? Yeah, I think okay. so. If it starts raining now, it's better to go. I think we have to go to Bozolay because uh, now it starts raining and uh, up there we have for sure one hour on court. Uh, down here we might not be able to play at all. I guess we'll go up there and then uh, probably in the afternoon it'll be okay and we can extend the training a little bit here. So I might. I have the longest leg, so I might go front seat. Yeah. <laughs> My coach is Lars, and uh, it's actually a fun story. We met the uh, first time when I was six, seven years old in the club I started, and. Uh, We've been practicing since then. He knows my game like inside and out, so, so obviously he knows when I'm at the top and when I need to get better and when I need to push harder and when I'm you know, just struggling or whatever. So, so I think that's a good thing, so I cannot hide anything in a way. Don't judge anything here. <laughs> Everything we have a good relationship and a good team. We are building as a team, as, as players and per as persons, so, so it's good. Dynamic or map or court, actually we don't have a lot of time because I ju we just moved from the country club to here as it was raining. Always step in, adjustment step, eh? bam, bam. also because it's pretty cold, try to warm up. Move, bam, 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 bam. move the feet, bam, 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 bam. we have just actually 10 minutes. It was pretty intense but short. Super cold, <laughs> but yeah, that's good warm Getting the legs warm, now ready to step on the tennis court to do what we love. That's it, that's it, perfect. Whenever the ball is a little bit wider, try and cut the angle, okay? Come on, cut the corner. That's it, that's what I like to see. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter, you're doing the right thing. I'm practicing with uh, Lorenzo Musetti. We both know what it takes to come close to the top and uh, it definitely takes a lot of hard work and that's why we're here. It's okay, maybe you can step even further. We're trying to go and take the ball a little bit earlier, so I want him to step in all the time. Come on, and step in. On the backhand side especially, I want him to take a few more steps into the court. Maybe you could take a little bit higher on the backhand side, 5-10 centimeters higher, and I'd like to see that. Now, on the top, so don't let it drop at all. On the top, on the top, that's it. And the work begins again? It does, you know, already back at it, so. Now it's time for the fitness, for the fast feet. Yeah, I would prefer doing this than laying down on the couch. What is my goal? And that is to be number one in the world. And, you know, champions, they don't lie in the bed all day. Two second rest, and then we go again. If you cannot do this, you... It's almost impossible to compete with the guys in top 100 because, you know, they all can do it. And I think for me also, how I play the game is it's really important for this. And when I say up, you stop, but you're moving. Ba, stop, move. Ba, stop, ba, yeah, stop. You go here, bam, bam, forza, forza, last one, forza. Bravo, girl, well done, bravo. I started playing tennis when I was six in a, in a club where my sister, she started. And I thought it was, was a lovely sport and I still do, thankfully. Even from early on, I've always had the passion for the sport. 
I remember when we were going for holidays and I always said to my mom, let's book a court, book a court. And we went down to practice and my sister maybe, she also had a big passion for, for tennis, so we always played. I had a big temper actually back then. I still have, but I tried to control it. So I was, you know, throwing the rackets all over if I lost to my sister. But, uh, you know, she was good for me because she was obviously better. She's four years older, so she was a good, like, uh, push for me. I'm gonna play some points, so I'm gonna play some games. Focus less on the outcome than what we're working on. Mentally try and play the next point to win it. I am a perfectionist and I want you know everything to be perfect, but also in the same way I know it can't be perfect. So I gotta you know take it easy on myself sometimes. If it's slower, I just have to move more. Yeah, yeah. Just, just keep yeah. Ah, man. Even on the practice court, when I go out there and compete, I really want to win every time. Work on the rhythm of the serve. So now, hello. Kan du ikke lige prøve at nulstille? Altså, prøv at lytte en gang. Ja, yeah, I feel a lot of emotions, so I can get upset. Something is wrong with my eye. I don't know why. I'm 103 in the world right now. I'm not the best in the world, so of course there's room for plenty of mistakes. So it's just about, you know, trying to get into, into the brain. Don't think about winning or losing. It doesn't matter anything at all. Play the right way and don't think about anything else. Very good. When I'm angry and I use the anger positive into my game to get more power in the shot, it's, it really helps my game to, to improve and to play better. For 2022, my goal is to break inside the top 25, and uh, that's obviously a high goal, but I believe I have the game. One of the things I learned this year, really to be able physically to play 100% on each point and mentally. Nobody's gonna hand you the victory. You gotta take it yourself, earn it yourself. I believe I can do it. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Let's hear now from some of the other main contenders for the Rolex Monte Carlo Masters title. Shortly you'll hear from Miami Open finalist Kasper Ruud and the number two seed here, Alex Zverev. But first, the young man everyone is talking about, the champion of Miami from Spain, 18-year-old. Carlos Alcaraz. Playing here is uh, so good. Uh, yesterday was my first training, and uh, before before the training, I took a photo for from the view. You know the the sea, and uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. And you arrive as a Masters 1000 champion. I mean, you've had a bit of time now to reflect on what was an emotional day for you. How special was it? Well, it was uh, really special, uh, really special for for me. I mean, I had time to. Uh, celebrate with my friends, family at, uh, at home for a couple of uh, days, but uh, now it's time to, to be focused on, on clay court, on uh, first master 1000 on clay here in Monte Carlo. Arriving here for the first time, it's a reminder that you're still just 18, you're still doing lots of things for the first time. That must be difficult, but you seem to make it look so easy. Is it still a little bit difficult sometimes? Yes, yeah, sometimes it's, uh, it's difficult, but I'm trying to uh, Mm, yeah, to make uh, it easy, you know, trying to uh, the first times of uh, everything, mm, do my my best and uh, trying to manage the, the the nerves of the first time uh, well. Yeah. How much is that about Juan Carlos as well, and your team, and how much they support you? Talk to me about that. 
well, uh, they support me a, a lot. I mean, without without them, it wouldn't be possible to be be here, win my first uh, one Master 1000. I mean, uh, they support me a, a lot, uh, trying so hard, and uh, obviously uh, talking with me uh, every day and tell me that they. Bad things, you know, the things that I have to improve, the the things that I'm not doing well, the yeah, that uh, helped me a, a lot. And the moment in Miami looked so special for Juan Carlos as well. He was emotional at the end. It must have been amazing for you both. Yes, uh, of course. I mean, Juan Carlos is uh, uh, being through a tough moment uh, in in Miami, and uh, I played uh, almost the the full the full tournament without without him and the half uh, half him in the in the final is uh, so special and uh, I mean I mean he had a great effort to to come uh, to Miami watching watching the final of course it was an emotional an emotional moment. You seem comfortable on tour though, Carlos. You seem comfortable with people, selfies, <laughs> photographs. Are you? confident that the Carlos Alcaraz we see now with will always be the same yeah of course I, I always be be the same person I mean I, I will uh, I, I will never change I mean uh, I just uh, be confident of, of course uh, doing the selfies uh, doing autograph and uh, everything but uh, yeah I will be always the, the same person finally in, in terms of the tennis and the draw if things go to plan, I know you don't want to look that far ahead, but you could play Novak. Um, maybe taking Novak out of it, how much do you relish playing the very top players at this stage? Well, uh, I I don't want to be in a, in, in a rush, you know. I just uh, focus on the first round. Uh, yeah, looking for the first round uh, first, but uh, obviously uh, it would be a, a great match against Novak. Uh, uh, I mean, playing against the number one of the of the world is uh, is amazing for me. So, but uh, hope to to play well in the first round. Uh, hope to to meet him in the quarterfinals. Casper, <laughs> it's already been a season of highs and lows for you. How do you look back now on Miami and the or the high and and low that that was? Well, I think it's uh, yeah, you sum it up quite well. It's been highs and lows, and the lows have been uh, bothered, or it's been some injuries that has put me out of play, and uh, the highs. I mean, I I think I've taken care of the chances I've gotten. I think this year and done well in the, the few tournaments that I actually was able to play. So, I won one tournament and made the final of the biggest tournament of my career in in Miami. So. It's been a good start to the year, considering I didn't play too much. But uh, I'm looking forward for this part, especially coming up now with the clay. The goal is to play many, many tournaments, many matches in a row, and hope the body stays fit and ready for it. I want to ask you about the clay, but before I do, seven in the world, career high ranking, first win against Sasha Zverev. I know these are just statistics, but do they actually mean something? How important are these things? Well, I think the ranking is obviously what you think maybe the most about because this is the only kind of... Uh, the ranking is like your uh, your your profile and who you are because you can... Uh, it's your kind of your number and you own it in a way. It's the kind of like the thing you own is your ranking. So it is uh, always fun to have a new career high, high ranking. And this week I'm number seven. So it's a good feeling and uh, hope I can, of course, climb more. But I am also aware that I have uh, some points to defend now coming up and it will be a tough, uh, tough period. But at least if you look back 
to the previous years. I have more points now than I had at this point last year, so I'm in a better position and I hope I can take advantage of it. You mentioned the injuries. Um, how physically strong do you feel given the little block you had because of that? I do feel strong. I think Miami was a very good confidence booster for me, especially in my game. Um, uh, in my game, but especially also with the with the fitness wise, I felt very good throughout the tournament. And um, of course, came up a little bit short in the final, but uh, I was able to play all matches with no pains and all these things. So that was a very good indication that I can do well in bigger tournaments and still keep the body going. Of course, you will always face some new stuff and some old stuff that you faced before when it comes to pains. And some things that are bothering, but uh, the past, uh, I would say, month since uh, I went to Indian Wells, the body's been feeling good, and that's the most important thing. And I'm happy that it, that it does because this is a um, physically tough part coming up on the clay and long, longer matches, longer rallies. So it's uh, it's important to have the body with you. You are an all-court player. You've proven that once again in Miami. But what is it about the clay and this time of year that you really relish? Well, I just think it's something with, you know, the the dust that comes from the courts and just, yeah, the dirt, obviously, it's a little, you get a little dirty on your socks. It's a good indication that you're running around, sliding around and kind of, uh, it's like a surface that where I think hard works really pays off sometimes more than playing like exceptional tennis. So I think that's uh, also uh, what makes it special. And um, I mean, I just, it also suits my game a little bit better for now, I feel. So it is, uh, those are the reasons I, I enjoy playing on clay and you find long rallies. You need sometimes to play three and four and even five more shots than you do on other surfaces to get a winner and you see drop shots, you see lobs, you see a lot of running and sliding and all these things which I think is fun to watch and I always enjoy watching other clay court matches as well. Physically it's obviously tougher um, in, way, in a way, does it also take a different mindset to play on clay? A little bit, you have to prepare, I just think just uh, you need to be prepared for longer rallies in general and people getting to your w typically winner shots on hardcore people will or your opponents will probably get there and play def good defensive shots more on clay. Um, uh, but uh, then again, I think I'm one of the players who really look up to the clay and have a very positive mindset to it. So I think that has kind of helped me given, and given me some wins here and there that uh, that uh, maybe I wouldn't get on hard courts because hard courts things go faster and in a way it is also t physically tough because it's much like tougher for your joints and the knees and everything. So clay is in a way physically tougher because it's longer matches and physically demanding but the hardcore is more kind of brutal towards your joints so um, it's, a, it's a good mix. <laughs> You're actually the highest ranked player here this week to have played on tour on clay this year okay. and won a tournament. I mean does, how much of an edge does that give you? I think uh, yeah I mean it, it gives me confidence of course knowing that I've played on the surface already this year a little bit different conditions down in South America than here but uh, yeah, I always try to, I mean, obviously not regularly play on clay, but uh, because since uh, since I played Kitzbühel last year, uh, I didn't play on clay for around six or seven months. So that's a long stretch without clay courts. So I find it very tough. If I don't go to South America, it will be like almost nine months without clay. So I always like taking that trip because I will feel better prepared maybe coming to Europe. So. And that has been working before, so um, I hope it can be a good, um, good key to some success this year. Well, Sasha, I would say welcome to Monte Carlo, but, but you live here most of the time anyway. So uh, let's just talk about being back out on clay and how does it feel to get your socks dirty again? 
Good. Uh, it's it's definitely a part of the season that I enjoy, and uh, I really like um, you know the grind. I really like getting kind of dirty. I really like the physical the physicality that uh, the clay court season brings. So um, I hope it'll be a fun clay season. I hope uh, I'll have some good results. Um, started playing much better. I feel like in Miami, but then. Uh, yeah, an, Ill, an illness got in the way a little bit of, of my chances there, but um, I hope I can continue kind of yeah moving forward in the season. Some of your biggest titles have come on clay. What what is yeah. it about clay that suits your game? I feel like for for my height, I can still move quite okay on, on the surface. Uh, it's obviously a natural surface for me because that's the surface I grew up on in, in Germany, and um, yeah, I mean, look at the end of the day. There's a lot of great players out here. There's a lot of great clay court players out here. So it's not going to be an easy tournament, but uh, I look forward to, to what's coming. Talk to me about the transitioning of your game, but also your body to clay and what, what it particularly takes for you. I think maybe for me it's maybe a bit more natural than for others. Uh, it doesn't take me that long to adjust, uh, as I said, because you kind of grew up on it. You kind of um, grew up moving on it as well. I think the movement part is the, is the biggest uh, task when you go from hardcore to clay but um, yeah some people find it maybe a bit more easier some people find it more difficult and um, hopefully I can I can show here uh, straight away that uh, I feel comfortable on the surface well, you, you definitely feel comfortable in Monte Carlo yeah the courts though in terms of results haven't necessarily been hugely kind to you yeah. um, how do you change that yes yeah, the only masters I haven't won on clay yet uh, right but I hope I can change that this year I mean this is definitely a place that I love this is a place that I call home as well um, so um, but the reason for that is maybe that we're still early in the year we're still uh, the temperatures are maybe not as high it's a bit slower out here so I, yeah I like clay but I like the faster kind of clay the uh, you know the Rome Madrid type of clay uh, so as I said, uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the weekend. There's going to be tough challenges, but uh, as I said, I hope I can be ready for it. Alexander Zverev and before him, Kaspar Ruud and Carlos Alcaraz. Alcaraz, like Holger Rune, just starting out on his playing journey. Meanwhile, for Frenchman Joe Alfred Songer, Monte Carlo is the first stop on a brief tour of France, taking in this Masters event here a challenger in Aix-en-Provence, the 250 in Lyon, and then Roland Garros before retiring from the game. An emotional roller coaster is guaranteed, and he spoke earlier today with Brendan Gilson. Yeah, for me it's really emotional anyway, but uh, I want to keep focus on the tournament. Uh, they give me the opportunity to play here. Um, I'm ready to play. I uh, want to win. I want to finish uh, my career like like I start uh, in in the battle, and uh, and that's it. I mean, it's uh, just a, a new opportunity for me to give my best on court. Uh, of course, I would like to 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 thank uh, the tournament to give me again this opportunity. And um, yeah, I receive a lot of words for, from the, the players, from the, 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 the people around the, the court. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's great. And I hope I will be able to, uh, 
to enjoy this moment when I will stop. But for the moment, I'm I'm focused on on the tennis and uh, and that's it. How difficult was it for you to come to the decision to retire? It was a, a long process. Uh, it's now a few years. I'm thinking about it, and uh, now I'm coming to to the end. And uh, yeah, I feel really light now uh, because it was. Uh, very good moment, but at the same time, uh, something heavy for me. I had uh, many injuries. Uh, my my body felt really sore uh, the last couple of years, and um, I didn't feel, you know, uh, good on court the last couple of months. And and uh, and now I'm feeling I'm feeling better. But I took the the opportunity to <laughs> I took the um, I mean, I did the choice to uh, to stop, and I'm really happy with it. And I would give the best for the rest of the, the for the for the last two, three tournament I have to play. Uh, yeah, just an honor to be here again. And and uh, Monte Carlo will will stay anyway in my heart. Uh, I spent so many good time here. Uh, it's a beautiful place. I invite, of course, uh, all the fans of tennis, you know, to come here and, and see how it is because in real. Uh, in live, it's it's completely different and and it's magical. You can look backwards now on your on your career. When do you feel that you were at your peak? Um, you know, my career was uh, kind of mountains, up and down uh, every time, and uh, it's difficult for me when was the peak of it. But uh, yeah, it's really difficult to. To say it, you know, I, I hope the peak will be in uh, here in Monte Carlo or in Roland Garros because I'm always looking forward. Um, I used to uh, to to watch in front of me and and, and not in my back uh, when I was player. Uh, and today I'm still player and I'm looking forward and I'm sure uh, the the best part is going to be uh, in front of me. So you beat the world's best players. You put a smile on everyone's faces while you were doing it. What's going to be your legacy on tennis? I don't know. Um, Gael Monfils said that I was a role model. And for me, it was, it was important to, to be this role model uh, I wanted to be. Um, today, I have some players like uh, Felix Ogeliasim, um, I, I inspire those guys, I inspire guys like Nick Kyrgios. They are completely different. It means I had uh, a little bit of them, you know, in, in me. Um, and it's just an honor, you know. And uh, most of the players, uh, the young players, I played them. Uh, and and uh, I was really proud because after the match uh, they came to me and and uh, they told me we we woke up really early to see you play uh, there or there and yeah it's uh, it's I'm just proud of that and proud of this and and uh, and, uh, and that's it and that's it and this is my legacy and also I want to say I was not able to do I didn't do crazy things uh, to be a character on the tour 
and uh, for me it's also something uh, I'm proud of. And remember to keep in touch with all things Rolex Monte Carlo Masters. Visit atptour.com, download the ATP Tour app or watch it all live on Tennis TV. But we are not quite finished yet as first we have more top tips from some of the world's top coaches. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and atptour.com This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. It's time finally for our latest coaching masterclass from the recent World Tennis Conference supported by the Global Professional Tennis Coaches Association and the Seagal Institute. Over the past few weeks, we've focused on communication, court positioning and management of time and energy around the match. But this week, it is all about the mind. And to kick things off, we hear from one of the men behind the World Tennis Conference, President Alberto Castellani. With my player, I do every day mental training, like the physical, like the, the technical side. I understood immediately when I started uh, to become coach that uh, was not enough to know how to play forehand, backhand, attack. I understood that I have to to take care of this part of the game because it's very important. And uh, a lot of coaches, that if you speak with them, they say that it's very important, very important, but they don't do enough. When they go on the court, the, the, the approach to the mental side is very superficially. And uh, it's like if I speak with forehand, backhand, and I say, play your best backhand, play your best forehand, run uh, faster than uh, your opponent. But after I have to, to explain how to make and how to play better your forehand and, and how to play better your backhand, it's the same. The coach say, be concentrated, believe in yourself, no? This, uh, this mental skills, but after they have to know how to practice it on the court. Dr. Jim Lair is a world-renowned performance psychologist and author who's worked with the likes of Jim Courier, Gabriella Sabatini, Monica Sellers, and Andre Agassi, among others. Let's hear from him. The brain is actually listening for messages through the medium of words. And that is probably one of the most powerful ways that we can affect how the brain actually functions and what messages are actually being delivered appropriately. And the other one are images. So our our brains work like an image sensitive computer and a word sensitive computer. So words and images really represent how we actually, in a sense, kind of condition the brain to do what it needs to do in certain situations. And the images and the words that you create for players either help them or hurt them in building what I call a brilliant competitive brain. That's what we really want is not only do we want to have brilliant biomechanics and brilliant, uh, you know, ability to, or flexibility and stamina and so on and so forth, but we want to build a brilliant competitive brain so that whatever talent and skill the player has, they can show evidence of that They can bring that to life in competition. And there are many moving parts to a brilliant competitive brain. Here's six-time Grand Slam doubles champion Jaco Elting and first sports psychologist and coach Adam Bleacher. So I believe, yes, we should do more on the mental aspect. A lot of it I think we're actually already doing. I think a lot of mental work is done 
when we are picking up balls, I believe it's done over dinner. It's done in the airplane or on the bus ride to and from the courts. And I think a lot of it is shaped around how we communicate. We really like kids that are curious, kids that, that are trying to look for a possibility or for an answer themselves and not always just doing what the coach asks them to do uh, or just doing the things that are being told. So I think curios- curiosity, I think, is a very important thing. I think modesty is a very important thing. You need so many people around you as parents, as fellow players, coaches, a federation, a sponsor, that if you are a kind of kid that is just taking and taking and taking, but not giving back and being humble and being modest, I think you're also going to have a very hard time. I think eventually you're going to feel that you're going to be on your own uh, and you have not a lot of people around you. So I think that's also very important that you're modest. We have this terminology about being physically strong or technically sound. And you could also talk, talk about being mentally tough. And when we're talking about focus, I actually believe that one way of talking about it could also be talking about mental flexibility, because to me, it's about shifting your focus to what can help you the most. So I would also sometimes when I'm watching tennis on the television and I hear some of the commentators saying, oh, now now this player lost his or her focus. I, I believe that's a little bit of a myth in terms of, I don't believe you can lose your focus, but you can focus on something that is not helping you that much. So it's no. about figuring out where is your focus and also actively dragging your focus to what can help you. But if you don't know what can help you when you're down 30, 40 and you just missed your first serve and you have a sub-personality or a little thought in your mind going, don't double fault, don't double fault, it becomes a very difficult situation. So to me, the mentally flexible player is good at figuring out where is my focus, but also refocusing the center of attention to what can help them the most in the specific situation. It's nice when somebody has natural confidence, but uh, that can also grow uh, upon results that can grow if you have an environment that is secure. Uh, I think that's very important to try and secure, have a secure environment. So that's also something we look for when we are uh, looking for good juniors. Is the environment also at home with the private coach, the group that they train? Do they feel at home? Do they feel comfortable? And, and um, I think from there, um, self-confidence and self-belief can grow. Not surprisingly, given what they do on court, problem solving is another hot topic. Shortly, we'll hear from sports scientist Dr. Jack Groppel. But first, here's Adam Bleacher again. Obviously, we can't just start out asking questions if they have no knowledge at all. So it's also a continuum from being direct to indirect. But I'll even gen- in general... We need to think about, well, how are they expected to succeed, to to compete the players? Well, they are out there on their own, so they need to be good problem solvers. And just like if we are down by the lake and we feed the birds, they will come back for more food. They won't figure out how to find food themselves. And I think too many of us, including myself, we keep feeding the birds and then we complain that they can't solve the problems when they're out on the court. There's this level of excellence that world-class tennis players and, and really champions how they think. It's how can I do better than I did today? What do I need to do? I'll never forget Tim Gullickson, for example, when 
I was working with him in the uh, early 80s and Tim came off the court at Wimbledon. I was with him at Wimbledon and he, and he made this statement. He says, you know, how, you know how I know I'm really volleying well? And I said, how? And he goes, my knees are bleeding. And I'm going, seriously? <laughs> yeah, and I don't, I don't encourage people to get that low necessarily, but that's how, world, that's how world-class players think. You know, he and Tom Gullickson were ranked two in the world that year behind McEnroe and Fleming. And that was the expectation that these champions have of themselves. So I think champions always learn how to be in the moment, stay focused in the moment. They're not afraid to lose. That's why they can hit that screaming forehand down the line on match point against them because they're not really afraid to lose. They hate to lose, but they're not afraid to lose, which I think a lot of lesser skilled players are. And they always believe, you know, I've always got a chance. You know, even though I might be really down, I've always got a chance. And I always see that when I, when I see champions. Dr. Jim Lair again. A brilliant competitive brain is not normal. It's very abnormal. And it takes years and countless inputs and very, 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 very definitive refinements to build the neurological architecture and neurological pathways that bring this extraordinary focus under pressure, bring emotional control under pressure, bring resilience, bring the ability to manage mistakes when they are crucial and it just happened, and on and on and on. What's normal is to get upset when you make a serious mistake and you could have won that set or could have won that match because it was in it was within reach. But, you know, it's so interesting that, you know, we tend to think that, you know, we just got to be who we are out there. And it's really not the case. We have to train our brains to produce the responses that are going to help us compete at the highest level. And sometimes when training resilience and clarity in the brain, the first challenge is to recognize and accept elements of weakness to see the brain as a whole, as Dr. Mark Kovacs of the Kovacs Institute explains. As we know, there's some mental surveys and scales that we utilize, more so looking at overall well-being and um, general areas of um, mental health. And we try to look at that to see other changes that occur throughout the week, throughout the month to help us adjust programming. It's really difficult because a lot of that is still subjective. So you're relying on, especially if you're talking juniors, young athletes to give information that's accurate, which is really difficult. The data is not great on getting surveys on young athletes and letting them express themselves accurately. So some of the objective data you're looking at now is uh, sort of autonomic nervous system responses to various stresses. Um, and trying to utilize some objective metrics to give you an insight. Is the athlete feeling good today, not so good? Uh, it doesn't mean that you may, are necessarily going to change your programming, but it just may give you a sense that you may have to adjust how you approach things based on what you're seeing. So it helps give you a better framework of how you go into your sessions. And on the specific and crucial subject of mental health, We'll leave the final words to Alberto Castellani. Mental health, I think that is a concept that go beyond the sport, go over the sport, is connected with our life. Every one of us has to take care of this part, no? We are on the modern, uh, modern era, 
that we don't have time, we, we rush every day, we are stressed, you know? The disease, the mental disease is growing up, but it's time to take care, to go slower, to take care of us. This is, means mental, mental health. And, and also the tennis player also has a big stress around him. Every day he, changed, he has a jet lag, changed the tournament, take the, the fly. So big stress. So we have to, to try to do something, to, to take our, our uh, relaxation. So I, I suggest, but this is not just for the sport. The people around me, around me, I suggest to do every day some small exercise. Why we, we don't do 10, 10 minutes per day, some relaxation? Feel our body. We feel our breathing. No? There are a lot of small exercise that doesn't cost too much. How to believe a little bit more in ourselves. How to make every day, how to approach the other, the people with some empathy that we feel better that bring us to our self-realization every day a little bit more. Small exercise that can change the style of, the style of, of our life. Thanks to all the coaches for their knowledge and wisdom and be sure to head to worldtennisconference.com where you can still subscribe to watch all of the content from the conference, including presentations from Brad Gilbert, Gilles Savara, Boris Becker, Nikola Masu, Ivan Lubcic and many more and check out our podcast channel over the coming weeks to hear more of the live conference panel discussions in full that is it from me Seb Lozier in Monte Carlo where qualifying has finished the draw has taken shape the players have finished their pre-tournament media commitments and can now get down to the business of winning tennis matches who will be left standing next Sunday holding the trophy aloft join me next week as we reveal all in the meantime thanks for listening enjoy the tennis <laughs>